Happier Work, Happier Life, episode 23. Thomas Wong here from Happier with Pedro Pimentel, lead consultant at ThoughtWorks, organizer of Agile Hong Kong, and Codeaholics, which is the largest software development meetup in Hong Kong. Today we discuss what exactly Codeaholics is, the value of joining, the amazing culture of trust within ThoughtWorks, how to actually get into ThoughtWorks, and tips and advice for those interested in tech careers. So if you're interested, tune in for this podcast. All right, Pedro, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you give a quick introduction about yourself? Okay. Oh, well, I'm Pedro. I'm originally from Brazil, and I've been in Hong Kong for um, slightly over eight years now, and I work as a lead consultant for ThoughtWorks. I'm also an organizer for Codeaholics, the largest uh, software development meetup in Hong Kong, which I've been organizing since 2012, pretty much since I got here. Okay. Um, and what, what has Codeaholics been like? Um, can you share more with the community, what you guys do, and what you do for developers? Okay. So initially, the name was, wasn't Codeaholics. It was a Ruby meetup. But because uh, the community was quite small at the time, so we decided to, to expand the group to any programming language, to any type of uh, software-related topic, right? So that's why the name Codeaholics. So it's a safe space for the community to come and uh, give talks and uh, connect with other like-minded individuals who appreciate quality in the code and and appreci- appreciate the work they do in software development. So that's that the type of people that usually comes to the meetups. And what can people coming to this meetup expect or go back home with after these sort of events and talks? Yeah, for every meetup, we usually have a couple of talks, uh, 20 to 30 minutes long. And uh, the focus is extremely technical. So they either will learn something really deep and specific about a programming language or a framework, or they will have a overall overview uh, of a programming language, of a certain technology, a certain aspect of a framework. Okay, and now I want to ask you about ThoughtWorks. How did you end up where you are today? Okay, in ThoughtWorks. So it's an interesting story because the first time I joined uh, ThoughtWorks was back in 2010. And at that time, I was living in a different country, not in Brazil. I was in Spain. And ThoughtWorks was deciding to open an office in Brazil, the first one. So for me, it was okay. That's an interesting opportunity to go back and work for a nice company. So I went through the interview process, a lot of uh, steps, and I finally made it through and I went back to Brazil. Fast forward to 2012 uh, or so, I left the company because I wanted to come to Hong Kong. And um, just recently, less than a year ago, the company decided to reopen uh, the presence in Hong Kong after like a long hiatus of uh, over 10 years that they had an office here. And uh, I decided that I think it would be an interesting opportunity to rejoin the company. So I talked to the people in charge and they were really delighted for me to come back. So you said rejoin company. Um, I mean, a lot of recruiters nowadays, they sometimes look at people who are trying to join their old company as a negative thing. What Can you share about your experience, especially as a tech person? How is it common in the tech industry? Well... I wouldn't say it's common, but um, at least in ThoughtWorks, it happens to a couple of people that I know. They leave the company 
at one stage in their life, in their career, and they come back in a different stage, which is the case with me. Like I, I left as a senior, now I'm rejoining as a lead consultant. So it's a, it's a different period of your career. And I think that's quite interesting because you get to see things from a different perspective. And w why do you think people rejoin the same company or leave and then come back? I, I think in terms of uh, maturity, right? Because at some point you have a wide, uh, like a certain scope of what you want to do in your career, and that changes over time. So with that change, then you might reevaluate some of the, the companies you have worked in the past. And I think companies like ThoughtWorks, they're always um, okay to have people coming back because they know they eventually learning something from other companies, from other industry, they're going to bring back to the company as well. So it's, it, it goes both ways. Okay, true. And so it's okay for people who are considering applying for their old companies. Do you have any tips or words of wisdom for them? I mean, if you like your old company, of course, go and apply again. But if you don't like your boss and your boss is still there, maybe <laughs> not the right thing to do. Okay. Yeah. And then so for ThoughtWorks, what, what is your day-to-day -day like as a lead consultant um, compared to previously uh, when you were there? Okay, the main difference is, is also that I switch my role. I okay. used to be uh, full-time, most likely, uh, most likely, uh, full-time software developer, right? Working as a consultant. But now I work as an agile coach consultant. So it's, it's quite different. I still work with technology and uh, development teams, but the scope of the work is quite different. So previously, uh, I would expect to start my day by choosing my pair, who I'm going to be working with in the day, like pair programming. And uh, I would be randomly assigned or like you would actually choose someone to work with, depending on the project. And then we would spend the day uh, coding and uh, developing solutions, right? And nowadays as an agile coach, it's, it's quite diverse. I could be working with product owners. I could be working with business analysts. I could be working with developers. I could be working with quality analysts in, in different capacities. Like for example, with a developer, I might be sitting down with them and coaching and mentoring on test-driven development, or with a product owner, I might be sitting down with them and teaching how to split work so they can deliver value faster. So it really depends. How was the transition between those roles and why, why did you decide to switch? It wasn't easy. Um, actually, I had to hire a career coach to make me realize what I, what I wanted to do. Because at some point in my career, when I was here, already here in Hong Kong, I was quite disappointed with the state of the, the software of the companies I was working with. And working as a, a pretty much a solo uh, consultant developer, assigning house to those companies, it was quite difficult to change the culture around the quality of the code and the, and the, and the company culture, right? So I decided that something else needs to be done. So I hired a career coach to, who helped me to realize that I can still work within technology, but um, have a different take on how to introduce change and change, especially approach to quality in software development in the, in the companies that I work with. And at what point did you go, oh, hey, I should talk to somebody about this? Like, what, when people are thinking about career switching, at what point would you suggest for them to seek out help from a third party, like a career coach? Well, I think any stage of your career, no matter if you're just beginning, you have no idea what to do, or if you're like in your 50s, 60s, and you don't know what to do as well. It's pretty much the uh, same situation. You hire uh, a coach, right? 
which is going to not, they're not going to give you answers, but they're going to make you reflect on what you are and what you actually want as an individual in your career. So for me, that was the, the turning point. Mm-hmm. There are many things that I already knew when I talked to the coach, but I, you know, I was afraid to take that position, to take the decision. And having the coach made me, okay, this is really what I should pursue next. Okay. And um, I mean, aside from realizing that you, you wanted to pursue something else, what, what other big takeaway did you, did you have from speaking with a career coach? Well, I think the main takeaway, which I still use up to today, is that um, with a coach, an external person, they, are, they tend not to be biased about what you're thinking. Right? So they're going to ask really hard questions sometimes, and you have to really reflect on that. So analogy I do is like in sports, for example, tennis, you see pretty much every major player, they have a tennis co- a coach or even in football or any sport, right? Of course, there are some peers that they don't have a coach because, you know, they are just putting what they're learning to practice. But uh, quite often they would go back to having a coach to reflect and see how they can improve, how they can get better. So I think it's crucial that you always keep um, contact with external people, not only necessarily a coach, but someone who will make you realize uh, what you're doing, if it's the right thing or not. Sounds like you made the right decision. (laughs) Um, You mentioned earlier about company culture and how it's very important. Can you share about the company culture at ThoughtWorks? Yes. Well, I think I can define easily the culture. So even though it's not a small company, we are about 7,000 people around the globe. But I can pretty much trust anyone uh, in the company. If I had a, a son or a daughter, I could trust my kid with someone of them for them to take care. That's the level of trust that I, I have in my colleagues. Yeah, that's a lot of trust. Yeah. <laughs> Leave your kid with somebody. Um, and then what, what sort of people end up in ThoughtWorks? Of course, trustworthy people. But aside from that, if I was an applicant and I was considering ThoughtWorks, what should I be asking myself to figure out if I belong here? Okay, depending on the stage of your career, uh, one of the things is if you're like a fresh grad, no experience, many companies, many good companies nowadays, it's difficult to get in, right? Because you need experience. So in ThoughtWorks, we have a program which we call ThoughtWorks University where we get a few batches of pretty much fresh grads and people coming from different areas, let's say from science, from mathematics, and they want to become uh, software developer consultants, right? So they come into this program where during six weeks, they go into a simulation of a real life uh, project where they get to learn all the things that we do in ThoughtWorks in terms of our software de- development. It's very intense. And this is something I'm currently working on right now as a product owner for this type of program. It's very intense. It's an extremely good for people without any experience in software development. And then if you're already experienced, the company is already well known for having a lot of uh, the big names in the industry, such as Martin Fowler, uh, in the past, people like Olabini and Jess Campbell, who is one of the originators of uh, continuous delivery and so on. So the company is really well known for the technology and all the craft behind. So if you are a techie and really like building things with quality, then ThoughtWorks is a good place for you. Sounds like a great... Yeah. 
great place to be, especially if you enjoy technology and working with each other. How can university students prepare themselves to be more competitive and how can they, like, what's the process like for selection? Okay, so the process, we have a standard baseline process, which covers, especially, let's talk about software development here. So which covers uh, looking at bad code. So we're going to give a piece of bad code and the candidate, they need to point out what is bad in that code, right? And there's another opportunity for the candidates to deliver a piece of code. So they have to produce some code at home. And then eventually they go on site or remote nowadays. And they do an extension of their own code uh, by remote pairing or pairing uh, with someone from ThoughtWorks. So that way we can evaluate the way they communicate with others, the way they explain their ideas, the way they explain their code. Not only by the way they write the code, but how they explain. explain. Because uh, pairing, for example, is a big part of a ThoughtWorks culture. Pretty much all the code that we deliver is in pairs. For non-technical people like myself, what does pairing actually mean? Yeah, so pair programming is pretty much two, two people in front of uh, one computer. So the usual setup that we have is we have two screens, two keyboards, and two mouses, but one computer. And we have someone who is generally the driver and someone else who is the navigator. The driver is the one like typing, and the navigator is the one giving the directions. Ah, okay. So for example, I want to use a certain logic. I have to explain to my colleague why I want to use that because he or she might not understand the same way as I do. So it's it's also like a code review in real time. And then how can students be more competitive for this program? I imagine it's quite popular with fresh grads and students. Okay, yeah. So again, from the software development perspective, uh, you have to really focus on the craft of your code. It doesn't need to be 100% perfect, but you need to understand the decisions that you took and the shortcuts you took. So that's very important to be aware of what is bad and what is good in your code. It cannot be a really bad code. Then that way we wouldn't even uh, call the candidate for interview. But um, it needs to be in a certain stage that is readable. That's the mm-hmm. main point. Readable by a human, not by a machine. That makes sense. So that's the, the coding part. And I would say the most difficult part for most of the people I have seen is the actual uh, values interview that we have. Oh. We we got to see a lot of uh, like really good technical people, but they either sometimes they cannot work in pairs. They don't want to pair programming with someone. They prefer to work by themselves. And for this type of person, we sorry we cannot accept. Mm-hmm. It's not part part of the culture. That explains why you're you feel safe trusting them with your children. It's because from the very beginning, even from the interview process, you have this value of trust. Yeah. So I mean, moving to the more senior or experienced roles. What is the process like there and how can more experienced people show that they're trustworthy and that they belong in ThoughtWorks? Yeah, so pretty much the process is the same, except that you're gonna uh, have a more scrutiny on the quality of your code, on the quality of your communication and so on. In terms of values, it's pretty much the same. There's no difference between a senior lead or a junior, we expect the same type of uh, values. But when it comes to the actual delivery of your um, code or the work you do, we, d- we have different ranges. And this is, I would say, quite well established. We have a guide for establishing who is a lead, who is a 
senior, who is a junior. And then what is the the career progression like within ThoughtWorks? Um, is there a set amount of years that you're in a lead, then you convert, or is it based on your results? How does that work? Yeah, we we have a, a career path, which is like they usually as a junior, then uh, senior consultant, lead, principal, and so on, and you can climb the ladder that way. But if you want to do something else, let's say if you are a business analyst, but you want to, to do coding, you can totally do that in ThoughtWorks. Oh. Yeah. Or if you are a project manager and you also want to do business analysis or you want to do uh, something else within the company, like help to open a new office in a different country, that's also possible. So there's no restriction on, uh, on the type of role you can do. So that's very flexible. And this is something pretty much uh, every company that I worked with in the past, they have as well, which is the flexibility for you to do anything you want, not only the role you are hired for. That's amazing. Um, and then for applicants in general, uh, based on your previous experiences, based on your, your experience interviewing people, do you have any more tips, advice for applicants um, listening to help them with their job applications, regardless of what industry? Yes, I, I think it's important to research on what's uh, the process of interview, the process of evaluation of the candidate on wh whatever you're going to work. I think it's important to understand, understand by researching online or talking to people who are already in the company. So it's, it's very useful that you know how you're going to be tested. So other than that, you have to be aware that not everything that you read online is true. <laughs> so you have to always take everything with a grain of salt and make your own judgment at the end. Because it's it's so different. Like for each company, there is like a different process. There is a different, yeah. there's no magic. Is uh, There is no silver bullet. There is, there is no single way you're going to get a job even though someone else did the same steps before doesn't guarantee that you're going to make it so there's so what's the magic formula there's no magic formula <laughs> the point is you can learn you can definitely read and, and learn something about what people experience by applying to different companies and different uh, jobs but your path is going to be always different in a way or another. So there's no solution that's going to always work for you. So I guess we really shouldn't be comparing ourselves to each other all the time. You always look at someone who's like, oh, they did this. Let me do it the same way so I can get there. It's always, even a little bit, it's always different. Yes. And also nowadays, not only in ThoughtWorks, but in other companies, you need to consider uh, diversity as well. But in, in ThoughtWorks, uh, as a good example, I think we're quite strong on not lowering the bar just because of diversity. But we use diversity as a driving factor to look for good people in different places that you wouldn't expect to find. Like I mentioned, we had people coming from biology, from medicine, coming to work for ThoughtWorks. So I think this is the type of uh, uh, thing that we also should be looking at the future, that good, good people in technology they come from anywhere and they are based anywhere. Aside from the study, what other factors of diversity does do companies look at? Do more companies look at like male, female ratio or 
sexual orientation? Like what, what do companies look for when they're discussing diversity? Yeah, I, I believe different companies, they have different metrics. But for example, for, for ThoughtWorks, we have an analytics panel that we can see in real time um, the ratio of male and female in projects as well as the ratio of uh, seniority, like who is lead, who is uh, seniors. And we can see that in real time, either a project level, city level, country level, or global. So that's pretty cool to have an idea on where we need to focus on hiring more women. In terms of uh, diversity, also in ThoughtWorks, we have specific uh, activities around bringing more, uh, let's say, people who are who were in, in jail before mm. or who are from different uh Skin colors, yeah. And then, is there anything you learned that always worked well in your career throughout your your different experiences? Yes, I learned that. Actually, two things I will share. One is the value of education. So I didn't mention, but I dropped my computer science degree in the middle. Mm. Yeah, and. I don't advise people to do the same. <laughs> don't do what I did. And the reason is, I think it's important to have the formal education as much as is to have experience. And not everyone is lucky, like I was, to, to get a good career path without a degree. It certainly makes things more difficult when it comes to visa and everything else. So don't skip on education. And the other one is, especially when we are young, we tend to already have a solution for everything. We see a problem, oh, okay, I know a solution. And over time, uh, you realize that it's not always the case. And always that something that worked in the past probably is not gonna work again in, in the future, the same way you did in the past. You're always gonna need to adapt. So don't rush to apply what you think is already working in a future problem. That's, that's the other advice. So stay adaptable and keep your studies going. Yes. Do you have any advice for those who want to get into the tech career or tech field who aren't there before? And also for those who are currently in tech to upskill themselves and make sure they are still competitive with the, the current trends? Yeah. Well, I see many people that are coming into technology because it pays better than many other industries. And usually I would say, don't do that for that only reason. Probably you're going to be frustrated. And another thing is you can always uh, work in technology, but you don't need to be a developer. There's so many ways you can contribute in the industry. Obviously, the, the main one is, is, a, is a software development, but you can work as a business analyst. You can work in product management. You can work in marketing. and so many areas associated with technology, but not necessarily coding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But for coding, if you really want to learn coding, I, I usually suggest people to, to try by themselves first and see if they have a, a good grip of it. If they do, then um, go for a bootcamp or go on self-study. But you don't need to take computer science or any like hard degree on computer programming to learn programming. Of course, it's going to help you a lot. And you'll find out why when you get to work with difficult problems, such as like in performance and so on. But um, having a degree 
with a computer science background is not that important for, for being a programmer. It's more on the attitude and what your goals are. Yes, because it's also, like I said, there are many areas you can work in technology. Being a software developer is just one of them. Yeah, And even if you're a software developer, there are many uh, branches that you can go to. I see some people um, pretty much specializing in one computer programming language. And I, I don't think that's good because if you only know one language, um, that, that language might be out of fashion just in a few years. Then you might be running out of options, might be running out of jobs in the future. Some people might say, ah, oh, but COBOL, people are still using COBOL nowadays, but it's a dying language and it's so painful to use it. So why would you do that? What do you think are the most useful languages right now? Well, I am not a full-time uh, developer anymore, but I'm always tempted to use more script-based uh, languages such as Ruby, Python, than anything else when, when it's for my own use. And then where do you see the trend going in the next five, 10 years? This is another thing that people sometimes ask me is about the trend of no code or low code. People say, ah, oh, but now we're gonna, we're not gonna need developers anymore because we, get, we have those platforms that anyone can just drag and drop a few things and they're literally coding. And yes, that might be true for some of the work we're doing, especially like simple applications, websites. Uh, we already see this a lot with Squarespace. I'm not gonna mention names, but <laughs> website builders, right? And um, and this is not really taking that many jobs away. And you're still gonna need developers to create tools such as those website builders. So no code is here to help us the same way as AI is helping us. It's not taking away completely the role of a developer. And then we always hear tech jobs pay pretty well, especially in Silicon Valley, um, but then also it's quite stressful. So you're working a lot. How do you, how do you maintain a work-life balance? How do you de-stress and get through those long hours? Okay, so yeah, there, there are indeed many stressful times, many over the weekend uh, work that you have to do. But I think the main advice is that I see so many developers, especially, yeah, developers, they have also passion for only for programming. So they go back home, they are coding on open source projects and so on. Okay, that's really cool. But the main issue is if your passion is the same as your job, at least for me, if your passion is the same as your job, if you get really frustrated with your job, if you get really uh, burned out, then your passion is also gone. Right. So my advice is that you at least have another passion, even if you keep uh, passion in coding, but you have another passion that you can rely when times are difficult. So you can always go back home or take a break and, and relax by doing whatever else you have a passion at the moment. So what is your passion? Yeah, uh, at the moment, I am doing a lot of uh, beach volleyball. So that's my passion for, for the moment. And I'm also playing tennis, so sports in general. But those two, tennis and, uh, and volleyball these days. How do you find time to, to do the sports when you're always busy with work? Well, I usually tend to do them in the evening. 
or on the weekends. But nowadays, with the flexibility of working from home, sometimes it's quite easy to, to find a, a time that you don't have any meetings or you don't need to be present during the daytime. So you can allow a couple of hours for sports activity and then you compensate by delivering uh, the work you do later. So it, it it's quite beneficial to take breaks and do your second passion so you don't burn out from the first passion. Yeah, especially having more than one passion so you can do something else, not only coding. Because I remember in, in the beginning of my career, I was extremely passionate about coding. I would be writing blogs about, I would be doing, I would be doing everything related to coding. And that's extremely tiring at some point. So, I mean, do you see a lot of people in the tech space burning out because of this? Yes, yes. It's, it's extremely common. Yeah, people really like, they're so tired of technologies, tired of a long working hours, tired of um, people changing their minds, especially when it comes to requirements in uh, software development. And it's, it's, it's very stressful because it's a very complex activity. So then what do they do when they burn out? They just quit or switch jobs or how do they, if they don't have the passion like you suggested? Yeah, some, some people that I know, they got, in, they got into depression, they got into like destructive behaviors. Yeah, so it's, it, it's quite challenging. Uh, and you allow yourself to get into that state because quite often, because you're earning well, you tend to buy and spend more money than you should, especially when you're a beginner in the career. So that way you are like locked in a position that you still have to work, work long hours to guarantee your income. Mm. Yeah, so that's quite dangerous. How, how can people get out of that sort of repetitive cycle? Yeah, back to, to the help of an external person okay. or source. Like if you have a friend that it's going to make you open your eyes to the reality and realize, okay, I should stop. I should quit. I should do something about it. So it's really maintaining that balance and finding a good, good point where they're happy and then they're also healthy and able to maintain that. Yes. And there is a, there's some red flags that you need to look out. For example, I have a friend who took a three-month-long vacation and then when he was supposed to go back to work, he said, no, I don't feel like returning to work. I, I'm already feeling stressed and burned out. So that's a really bad red flag that you should really consider <laughs> uh, quitting your job. Any other red flags? Well, this is a very strong one, but other one is, for example, uh, around your bosses, around the people you work with. If you are not being heard at work, I think that's a very strong uh, red flag. Mm. Yeah, I think it's it really makes a difference for for your job if you if you get along with your boss or not. Where where do you see the future trend? I mean, earlier you brought the no code, the low code, but you mentioned that there will still be developers, especially for people who need to to develop those applications and tools. Um, aside from that, where do you see the future trend for tech roles being? Yeah, together with that, and also with the use of uh, AI and so on. We're going to spend less time on like simple applications, like I mentioned before, like simple websites, simple forms, simple input and read uh, type of a website. So we're going to definitely need more focus on 
I would say, in my opinion, interesting technologies such as machine learning and uh, AI to train better models, to train uh, better learning algorithms. And this is pretty much not only programming, but it's a lot of uh, statistics and mathematics. So I see more of the, the tech future in those areas that I think we're going to see more and more innovations in, in the area combined with advancements in, in hardware. One thing that I really enjoy uh, lately was Neuralink from uh, Elon Musk. Mm. I think that's quite interesting. I think I would be definitely one of the first to say, okay, I want to try that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I see the, the biotechnology is, is the future. Aren't you scared that something will happen or you're just like, okay, let's just try it out? Well, that's the danger you might risk if you're an early adopter, right? There's always a risk. And the bigger the risk, the bigger the reward. True. Very true. Um, and I mean, I guess for those who are interested in Codeaholics, um, these are some of the topics that you discuss, right? And then more in depth on the technical side as well. Uh, yes, yeah. In, in the past, we had a like really a couple of like sites coming coming by to explain deep down the algorithms on, on data science and machine learning. That was really amazing to see because I, I didn't get to see that level of uh, algorithm and mathematics since since college. That was pretty cool. Oh, wow. Um. So, I mean, it's a lot of great sharing today. Uh, how can people? learn more and connect with you, with ThoughtWorks, and with Codeaholics? Yeah, for Codeaholics, uh, our main channels of communication are the meetup.com uh, group that we have. Just search for Codeaholics. I think you're going to see the link here. And uh, the other one is a Slack group that we have also on Codeaholics. But if you search Codeaholics on any major search engine, you're going to see codeholics.io, which is our website, which contains all the links for the for the research I mentioned. And then for ThoughtWorks, um, you can check our website on thoughtworks.com. And on the career section, you can see all the different roles that we have and and all the different cities and, and locations that we are hiring at the moment. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today, Pedro. Thank you.